0: Able to go under the radar and folk not know who you are and what you do, and then when you come out with who you are and what you do, it's in a way that shows the the struggle and the journey. So I thank Marcus for that, um, but I also thank you guys because the reason we wanted to hear his story as we begin this series, you guys have heard me talk about gospel-shaped living, and and over the next seven Sundays. Um, we are going to be looking at some different ways in which God has called us to be a community shaped by the gospel and that because we were born from the gospel now we should be able to be maintained by that same gospel and the first thing that we're looking at was what Marcus had alluded to and had talked about it is this whole issue of light and darkness and so for this first Sunday is our church the church lighting up the darkness. In other words, we are to be a light in the darkness. Part of that gospel-shaped living, the first thing that God says, and we talked about leading up to this when I gave my short series on who we are. Who are we? And this whole issue of who we are is, first of all, we are a light in the darkness because we've been brought out of darkness into the light. And God has an intent and a purpose for you individually, and corporately as a body and so this morning what we have seen in both our missions moment in Mike and K.B. Newton with Young Life and how they are a light in the darkness to the young to the youth community here in Pike and throughout the city but then we've also seen how solid word you as a corporate body has been a light in the darkness as well and that and that how we have encouraged one soul here to journey through his dark season, looking at the light of other believers as he sees the light of the gospel. But not only that, you guys have your own individual stories of light in the darkness. Number one, if you are in Christ and you have trusted Christ, it is Christ bringing you into light out of the darkness and you you each have your own personal testimony and stories, all of you have that, about how the Lord transported you from darkness into light, and then the next part is how corporately you have been a part of lighting up the darkness of, of, of our neighborhoods, of our community, of around here. I think of some of the different things that we do as a body and, and how this past Halloween and we keep getting it over and over, the number of folks that talk about we are so glad you are here and doing this when we've opened up our doors and we've let all these people in and, we, and we've been this light in this dark community that would not go out in the number that they have and then we keep seeing in increasing measure and we have other ways in which there is this light that's being seen and so this morning from a from a seemingly odd scripture as our first one we're going to be looking at this whole issue of light in the dark the church our church a light in the darkness and i'm going to be using some other scriptures that Have traditionally been used for that but I'm going to anchor in one that is not and now typically I'll have you stand so that I can read um, together but from this particular text I'm going to have you guys stay seated and listen actually because today our scripture is from the book of Revelation Revelation chapter 1 verses 9 through 20 as you see in the centerfold of your bulletin but I want you just to listen because this is the way that this That this letter, this 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 threefold um, document as it's become, it's both apocalyptic, meaning it is it is talking about something otherworldly. We are having the spiritual curtain roll back and we can see in this book what God is actually doing, although it seems to be something else we see in this book prophecy, because we hear some things about what's going to happen and, and, and some of the different things that God wanted them to see and know. But then as you look at the book of Revelation, it is also a letter. It, it is written like a traditional letter of its time. And it is written to churches. And I know we only think the first two or three chapters are to the seven churches, but actually the whole book, the whole letter is written to the church on a whole, and is written in particular to seven churches of what was called back then Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey, and some believe that, that the, the list of the churches, that the list of those churches is in the order in which they would have been visited, and if you go to a map, I didn't do a map picture, i I had one up and totally blew it, but but if you do a map of back then, you would see from the island of Patmos, you would see the circular and the churches that are mentioned beginning in Ephesus and ending in Laodicea. And they were really in order of how this letter would have been read in all of those churches, and it was written to them. And so here you see the apostle John giving this notice, giving, you know, giving. And, and again, we're not getting into what he says to those churches. That's for another place in time. He, or, 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 well, not another place. That's for here, but for another time. But, but that we're going to see of how he introduces this whole concept of the church being the focal point of God's purpose and message. And regardless of what we see that's happening today, and regardless of the attack on, or maybe the stumbling of the church, one of the things that we're going to see is God still has his purpose firm and sure for his church, a light in the darkness. So let me read for you Revelation chapter 1, verses 9 through 20. As a matter of fact, I'm going to back up and read from verse one. So just bear with me. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave to I mean, which God gave him to show his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. Now, verse 4 John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is, and who was, and who is to come, and from the seven spirits, or the sevenfold spirit, or the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of kings on earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priests to his God and father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him. Even those who pierced him and all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulations and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore. I have the keys of death and Hades. Write therefore these things that you have seen those that are, and those that are to take place after this. As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand, and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. And the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Amen. 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 Father, let your word be strong in in our ears and in our hearts, and may we respond with strong obedience. In Christ's name, amen. As we see this, this is a book that many people are often afraid of, and most times because they don't understand it. They think all this talking about is the end of the world and the sudden doom, and so this, this whole issue of judgment. Revelation is our English word for the Greek word apocalyptic. I mean, apocalypse, and really that just means revelation. It means It is, it, 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 it is, it is this opening up of that which is transcendent and transcendent again, that which is beyond this world, beyond what we see and know, beyond what is humanly understood. And so, God is pulling back the curtain. Now, understand this is written to those who were underneath the, the, the strong arm of the Roman Empire. And you have to understand that the Roman Empire, in all of its glory, too, was really, you know, cultic in nature. This, uh, they saw themselves as divine. And you can imagine the pressure that they brought to bear on everyone to 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 be molded into their kind, their brand of society. And so the church was under their extreme pressure as well. And they believed that the church was about to get unleashed a persecution that was going to be severe. And so John um, was encouraged to write. God was saying for what was to come soon. For them, especially, because this was written to those that were underneath that part of the Roman Empire. And it is filled with imagery. It is filled with so many different things. And, 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 And John was painting this picture and he uses a lot of things that tie back into Old Testament elements, which is why sometimes it's so hard for people to understand. They don't quite get it. But what John was painting a picture is of what God had been, I mean, what was already going on and what was about to happen for real, although what they saw would lead them to believe something different. And what God was doing was settling and preparing them for the onslaught that would come. But in that, he was also speaking to us because there are some things futuristic, that will happen and that would happen, but he was giving things that we could take heart in. Were there only seven churches in Asia Minor? No. And so John knew what he was doing when he wrote. Yes, he was writing to those seven, but but, 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 but again, make no mistake, John understood his numbers and that, that seven really talks about a complete message to the church. And that over this time, Each of those churches could find something in the message to the other that could relate to them. But also every church in Asia Minor in general could find something in that message that could relate to them. And we could take it even further. Every church for all time after that would be able to find something in the messages to those seven that would relate to them as they journeyed before the Lord. And thus, for us, it has application. Was Revelation, was this part, were those letters written specifically to us? No, we see who they were written to. And he mentions the churches in the seven cities. But they were written for our benefit so that we would continue in Christ uh, without anything getting in our way and without being derailed. I wrote this, that Revelation gives the church a call to conquer, because as you see that message to those seven churches, it is a call to conquer, to him who overcomes, to him who conquers. We see that in all the messages. It is a call to conquer. Conquer what? Whatever situation is being presented to them that would tempt them um, to sin by getting off of the purposes and plan of God. And so that's what it was written for. For some of them, the temptation was through fierce persecution. For some of them, the temptation was through affluence, which brought upon apathy, as we saw in the church of Laodicea. Not every church was struggling and suffering. Not every church went through it at intense. But God dealt with the different situations of each church differently so that they would overcome regardless of their situation. And he says that to you and I today, that as we look as a church, regardless of the age, whether it is a church under extreme persecution or whether it's a church under extreme affluence, God has a word for all of his churches and he warns them I love how he starts off and he talks about what they are doing great. I think we all can take an example from what God does in that. He talks about what you are doing before he focuses on to what you are not doing. And then in that, he's encouraging them. The only one that we see at the end is this church of Laodicea, who had become extremely affluent. I tell you, be careful, church, when you think the end goal for us is to have a lot of resources. But minus Christ, when we think everything is okay, because on the outside, everything is okay. I can pay all my bills. I don't have to pray, Lord, my bills are due, I don't have the ends to me. No, you may be able to meet the ends of your family and another. It's not a prayer of God, my health is out of order. I need to know, you may be having the best, best health of your life. Lord, I need a job. No, you may be experiencing the highest height of your career and can be in danger of failing in living in and up to the purposes of God. And so he says to us, you get it all. You get persecution and you get when you're comfortable, the danger that's there. And so what he tells the church in this is that, number one, you, Christ is the focus And you are his attention. And understand there is no other way, there is no other group, there is no other plan that God has to work through on this earth other than his church. There is no other group. And I thank God for the for the groups that we partner with, and they are called I me mean, sometimes. They call parachurch organizations. We thank God for that, but God's intentional plan to culminate through the ages was that He would have a called out group for Himself. He gave us that example in the nation of Israel. They weren't uh, uh, Abraham wasn't born Jewish. God made a nation out of ungodly people. He made him into a nation. But remember, Abraham was an idol worshiper, came from a family of idol worshippers. And then God called him out and made him his own. And then we see what he wanted to do. Of course, they failed, but don't throw them under the bus. And he called us out as a church, and we seem to be failing. But what God says is that my plan is still through the church. Ask the question this morning. What do people think of Christians and the church? people who don't go to church. What would they think? What would they say? Who are we to be? What should we be doing? And you know what? You'll probably hear a lot of different answers from people about what they think the church should be doing. Some believe they just should be a social service agency, paying people's bills and making them comfortable and doing good things in the community. And some of the churches today are held to that standard, Some think they just uh, they should just preach what is within the word of God and the doctrine and really don't 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 involve themselves in the things of the world. Don't 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 take that. That's secondary. Just say what's in the Bible and everything else will suffice. Hmm, But then as we look at scripture, God says you can actually do both. You can actually proclaim my gospel first and make sure that people know who I am and then they see it in you and the way you live. And then you can help to relieve, like Jesus did, the effects of sin and suffering in our world because that's exactly what he did. When it says he went to all these different places and and he went to all these different cities and healing, it is because he was relieving the effects of sin as he proclaimed the gospel. And gospel-shaped living is about living out this faith that we have in Christ while relieving the effects of sin on our world, letting people know that there is hope you actually can live life with a purpose because God has one. And God says you can engage your culture, you can participate in it. And ultimately, he says you are to be a light in the darkness. And so when we look at these seven churches, number one that we see is this whole thing of establishing the authority and the author. And I'm not talking about just John in this place. The authority, as we look at these first verses, I mean, these first eight verses, as actually God sets this up. He sets himself up as God is the authority, giving it to Christ so that it can be passed on to John. He says here at the beginning, the revelation, verse one, the revelation of Jesus Christ. Understand that. What are we reading? We are reading what has been revealed by Christ himself. The book starts off this is the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants. That sets the tone for the whole book. It is not some weird, I don't know what they're saying all These different imageries. No, it is a revelation from Christ, I mean, from God to me, I'm sorry, from Christ that God gave him to give to John for John to give to those in the faith. So it came from the Father. When it says from the seven spirits around the throne, some of you are like, What? I don't say, No. And really, sevenfold. And actually, when you go back to Isaiah eleven two, 2, it was understood when you see, and and someone can look at that, 11.2, it's this whole issue of the Spirit described in seven characteristics in Isaiah 11. And so it was known of that sixfold, but then the Septuagint started to say, the Septuagint is that Greek translation of the Old Testament started to speak of those six characteristics as the sevenfold Spirit. And so you get here this whole issue of, Of the seven spirits or, as translated, the sevenfold spirits or the sevenfold spirit around the throne. And so you see the Father, you see the Spirit, and he positioned the Son last because the Son is the focus. He's the focus of the church, he's the focus of this book, and he sets it for what we're going to be doing. And so then he says that Jesus is the one Who is the focus of it? And then, of course, the actual author of this is John. So after he establishes the authority and the author, he communicates the central focus. What is the central focus? Number one is, who is the central focus? Jesus Christ himself. And he sets this up. I love how he says this. It is the verse where he talks about Jesus. He says... Verse five, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth to him who, number one, loves us. So the central focus is Jesus Christ. But look at what Jesus has done. He says he loves us. Second point is that he frees us from our sins. And then the third point is that he made us into something. I love what he says, the central focus for us as a church and of this book is Jesus Christ. And if we ever get away from that, we have missed it. The church's focus, I mean, the church's central focus is to always be the one who brought it about, Jesus Christ himself. He said he loves us. That's a continual present tense. Not he loved, which he did because he did something, but he continues to love us as a church. But then it's a reminder, this is past tense, he freed us or he set us free. This is interesting because those that were under the Roman Empire sometimes felt that they were oppressed. But God says, you are actually free men. And actually, some of them would be persecuted and were being persecuted heavily and they don't think of themselves or, or they don't feel free. But he says, you are free. He freed us. But then he also say he made us into a kingdom. Central focus is Jesus. And Jesus' and Jesus's central focus, other than honoring and pleasing his father, is his church. And that church, that that, that part there, the rest of the book is written to the church. And all that is happening and all that is going on is written so that we may have an understanding and may see what is actually happening behind the curtain so we don't lose heart and we carry ourselves in the purpose as he has. And so as we see those three, then we talk about the seven churches of Asia, communicating the central focus. And we said that's a representation of the churches to come. That's a representation of it. And all the different churches, as I said, can find appropriate things to say because of what God had mentioned here. But then look at what you see when John hears the voice. Understand, when he heard the voice, it said it sounded like a trumpet, but understand it was very intelligible. He understood it. It was loud, and it was one that caught his attention, but it was one that he clearly understood. It wasn't like the Charlie Brown voice that we've heard whenever the kids would always hear all the adults talking. It was loud, but it was unintelligible. And here he says it was intelligible. And he can understand. But look what he says. He says that the seven lampstands, Christ gives him the explanation right away of the injury, of, of the imagery. The seven lampstands represent the church. I love this. And what does a lampstand hold? A lamp, a light. And so they represent themselves as a light in, in this particular case, particularly Asia Minor, but generally speaking, in the world. And so when you get this book that is revealing the culmination of human existence and society, how does he first portray the church? They are lights, and there is a danger of their light being removed. He says the seven stars are the angels or the messengers of those churches. Understand, John would have known all these churches real well, which is why, too, he understood what they were about. He understood them because John worked and lived and preached among those churches and others there. It is believed that he spent a good amount of time at the church at Ephesus as well. And so he knew that area. He knew that region. He knew those churches. And so today when I said that, the focus is on the church seen as a light. Why do you need a lampstand? Well, you need a lampstand because you want to put a light on it. Why do you need to put a light on it? Because you want to see. Well, why do you need to see? Because there's darkness all around. Why did God place churches where they are today? Because he wants a light in the darkness that will shine for who he is and his purposes regionally. And then collectively, they, they light up the atmosphere. Our, I mean, this room today is lit the way it is because of a series of lights. As a matter of fact, if you had one light and I had that in the center, it would light most specifically up that particular area, Um, but it would give light to everything. And the more light you have, the more clarity you have. Now, understand they didn't have incandescent lights and they didn't, you know, um, um, they didn't have electricity like that. And so that was candlelight. And we know candlelight is great if you have no light. But but it's hard for us to understand this issue of lampstands when we live in a time and day and age when you walk into your room and flip a switch and the whole room lights up. Except when the power goes out. Then you get a taste of what it's really like. Remember when he had that? This past summer happened in our neighborhood, <clears throat> and I knew something was wrong. When I got home, and I was like, "Boy, the neighborhood seems awfully dark." And I didn't realize that none of the street lights were on. It was awful. It was dark, and I was like, "Okay, why does it seem so?" And then I pull up to the garage, and I, you know, I hit that thing in your car—the garage door opener—and nothing happens. Hit it again. And I, maybe I didn't hit it good enough. <laughs> then I finally caught the clue. It's not working. And so, thank God that the phone tower was worn out. I called my wife who was inside, and I said, are we out of power? Yep, we sure are. And so, as a matter of fact, since that garage door is controlled electronically, electricity, we had to go the old-fashioned way and release it and pick it up manually and pull the car in. And then the issue, as I got inside, I realized that she had already lit candles in the house. And neighbors around had, to look at you and, and so darkness was there. What lit it? A candle on a stand. And God gives us that picture today for you and I. What is the church? A lampstand placed strategically to light up the darkness. And if we're not doing that, we are not living out our from history past into the final time that God has allotted purpose. We're not doing it. We are to be a light in the darkness. And the darkness is the sin that has resulted in this world. And so in the church's command to conquer, they were commanded to, in their specific environment, they were to remain a light in the face of danger that was trying to snuff that light out. It was a battle. It was a war. They were being prepped for war. And they were shown some things behind the scenes so that they would know how to battle. And for you and I today, we can't lose sight of this one fact. How is our light shining Where we have been placed strategically to let people know that blessed is he and he is to be honored and he is to be worshipped and served. And we are to reach out and to bring people into the light, not necessarily into this place, but into the light of Jesus. And that we are to let people know who Jesus is by how we live. But also he is telling us, be careful because they are trying to hide and to dim your light. And it can happen a number of ways. It can happen to you throwing in the towel when you are persecuted so heavily you say, I'm done, bye, I'm out, Lord. Peace. Or you can become so comfortable that you think there's no longer a need for it. And that's what he says to them. But then also... He says, if you conquer, and if you want to spend some time reading through, especially those first three chapters, to to him who overcomes or to him who conquers, he gives what the reward will be. And he says, God rewards victors and he helps you to gain and to maintain victory. But you got to want it. You have to understand that God didn't bring you into his church to hook you up and set you up. And you came here so that you have this comfortable way of life. Some people teach, treat church as a, as I mean, as a grocery store. I want to see what I can get. What I can, well, hey, I, I'm, 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 on a mission. I need a, I need a little bit of praise today. So let me get some. And, and and need a little bit of joy. Let me take some of that. And 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 then need a little bit of encouragement. Let me take some of that. I don't want any of that correction. Y'all can keep that. I don't need that today. Uh, but 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 I just want to line my cart with all the things that make me feel good. So when I leave, I've had a great feel-good experience. The picture I get from Revelation is God says, I need to prepare you because it's about to break off. You need to be ready because I need you to still be shining as all this starts and comes about. I need you to still stand for me and not to think something is wrong because you're suffering. As a matter of fact... John tells them in verse 9 what to expect. He says, I, John, your brother and partner in tribulation and the kingdom and the patience endurance that are in Jesus. And he says, I'm your partner. In other words, we're in this together. What are we in? First thing he talks about, tribulation. That's the first thing we're in. Suffering is, we know in Timothy, suffering is a normal part of the believer's life, Paul told Timothy, all those who wish to live godly will suffer persecution. We seem to forget that. We think he's written all those who will live godly will be hooked up. And I'm like, God doesn't say that. All those who live godly has got it made. God's going to do it for you. He said, godliness always brings about some form of persecution because the world that godliness is being displayed in doesn't want it. And thus you already become an opposition to what exists. Your environment is not set to embrace you. See, but we've kind of been lulled into this in that because of the culture, church had become accepted over the years and it has been embraced as a Cultural thing to do. And because of that, it was cool to go to church. And if you actually it would help you with jobs and other things if they heard that you were a churchgoer. You attended on a Sunday morning, you were a moral individual, and it was this benefit that wasn't the case back then. They weren't lining up to going to, to, to go to church back then. They they really had to go with a purpose and an intention. And so what we see here is that he's saying, listen, some of that is coming back around right now. Because church is no longer becoming as in as it used to be. You waste your time on Sunday going to church. Why you go to church? You can, you can sit at home. You don't need that. What are they doing for you? What you get when you go? And the issue becomes why are we here? And we see the example that God gives. It's a prep because you're in a war. You're in a war of righteousness. And it's not going to be. He says, I'm your partner in tribulation. I'm your partner in the kingdom. And I'm your partner in patient endurance. While you wait and you live under the pressure and the burden of what it means to be a believer in an ungodly society. He he is painting the picture Don't get all twisted and bent out of shape when it gets hard for you as if you're doing something wrong. You're probably doing a whole lot right. And so he says, listen, don't give in. He says, I'm writing this understanding why I'm here. Why was he on the island of Patmos?" Patmos was this prison island, was this work island, to where they were forced to labor to to quarry the stone that Rome wanted to build all that they were building, and so their labor. Was, was the criminal said it was it was the manual labor it was this prison camp island and John says I was there on account of the word and the testimony of Jesus see that for some people that doesn't match up what do you mean because of Je- because of the word of God and because I carry the testimony of Jesus I find myself in a labor camp on a prison island that doesn't make sense well it makes perfect sense If you understand what God is saying, he says, I'm here because I preach the word and believe it. And I proclaim in an eyewitness to Jesus Christ. That's why I'm here. And some of us, we would be mad that that's why we're there. God, then I've been serving you. I've been I've been doing this for years. I'm at church all the time. Bible study. I give to my money and my time. Didn't I help so-and-so last week? Then why am I here? God says, because of who you are. All that you just mentioned, that's why you're here. And you go, that's... They didn't tell me that, God said. They told you wrong. That's actually why you're here, is because... You belong to me. And yes, it is weird. It seems like it's out of place and it shouldn't be. God says, that's the way it is. But he says that he loves us, he freed us, and he made us. Boy, will we never forget that. I read that and I was like, God, I had to write that down. You love me, you freed me, and you made me. So, of course, I can suffer for you. But then we get lastly on this one is the other scripture that points to that's the revelation where we are painted when God is giving his unique revelation to John. We are painted as lights on a lampstand. That's the church. And then Matthew 5, 14 through 16. We know that one because we read it when we went through Matthew. I don't have to spend as much time in that one because we read it. We went through it. But I will spend some time on it so that we are reminded of it. It says in verse 14, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. There's the lamp stand again. They put lights on stands because that's what you see. Today we put lights in ceilings or on walls. Back then they put lights on stands. And so he said, so then... um, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house, or all in your presence. In the same way, in what same way? As a a light is put on a lamp, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, Jesus talking, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. You understand the personal nature of the command. He said it is a personal command, but it has a communal effect because he is calling on all of us to let our individual um, relationship with Christ, the light in us, him in us, shine before men and that men is in, in general. Shine before the public where? Wherever you are. Wherever you are that men are, and that's men and women, he says, wherever you are that other people are, they should know that there is something shining in you that is otherworldly, not of this world. And he says, why? So that they may see your light. How will they see your light? Oh, not by what you say, but by what you do, individually. And then that individually, as we link arms, turns into a corporate light. And so the individual lampstands for the homes and the lights would light up the home. But here in Revelation, we see these corporate lampstands. Those are individual lights that have gathered together and are shining for a region. And so God says, individually, you have a light that is to be combined corporately with other lights to give greater light. And he says, listen, let your light, light was meant to be seen, period, not hidden. Some people say, well, 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 I'm not that kind of Christian that, that I talk about my faith and I proclaim and I let everybody know. I just kind of, you know, do my own thing. Well, then you're not doing according to the scripture. God has got no hiding lights. He says, you don't light a lamp and hide it under a basket. He said, you don't do that. Why? Because the the only reason you have a light is so that people will see it. The only reason why you and I are left here on this earth, when you came to Christ, that he didn't take you home right then, right there, is so that people would see you the light in the areas that you were living in. Otherwise, why are you here? Go home. Take your light and go home. But if indeed God intended for you to be seen, be seen. Well, how am I seen? By my good works. Who determines what good works are, Jesus? Who determines what those works are? Not society, not the neighborhood, not other people. God determines what good works are and what works are good. And he says, so they may see your good works. And the reason I know that, 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 that those works are good, because the appropriate response happens. He says, when they see the works that are truly good, what will they do? They won't even talk about you. When the works that are godly good are seen, they will focus on the one who enabled you to do the works, God. So when I got a bunch of folks singing my praise, I'm wondering what kind of work have I been doing? Has it been good or has it just been something to gain me notoriety and fame? Now, some people may not understand it. Those outside may not understand what they see, but then we clarify. And the works that are good is because God is the one granting them. And so for you and I today, what we need to understand is that God intended for us to be lights. Individually in our areas, but then corporately on a stand, shining bright for regions. And I always ask, how are we doing? How are we shining? Are people praising God because of our works? Or are we hiding it under a basket? Or if I could say we're hiding it inside this building. A light was not meant to be hid in a building. A light was not meant to be hid in a service. A light was not meant to be hid inside this structure. It was meant to be seen. And so my deal is, how are we going to be seen if we stay huddled together in secret? God says, get out. Yeah, it's a battle. It's a war out there. I'm preparing you for it. I've prepared you and I'm preparing you. Now get out and be seen. Why? Because I want people talking about me, God says. He's the only one that can desire people talking about him and not be conceited and stuck up. (laughs) Only one. Because he deserves it. In his purity, in his holiness, he deserves it. And so for us today, he says, listen, he says, you are, and I love this. I actually wrote here, it is a collective you. If y'all lived in the South, this would be y'all. So the collective you is y'all. And so God is saying, look, y'all, get out. Y'all are the light of the world. Y'all are a city on a hill. Y'all were not meant to be hidden. And if you really wanted to go southern, you would say all y'all. <laughs> and so this whole deal is God says all y'all are meant to be seen so that people glorify God. Me, when you're done. So I had to ask us, how are you being a light individually so that people can indeed see your works and glorify God? What kind of works are you performing? Is it God glorifying? Is it leading people to talk about God? Or is it just leading people to talk about you? Or is it leading people to talk about you? Because it ain't got nothing to do with God. The issue becomes, what are people saying by what they are seeing? What are people saying because of what they are seeing? This week, I'm going to challenge us for something. I want you to take some time before Monday hits and you get back to work, school, wherever you go, you know, your social groups, whatever you function in. I want you to ask yourself this question, how do my works shine the light of Christ on my world? That's individually. How is it? Am I letting my light shine? How? And then the second part of it is, am I joining with others to be that corporate light, that lampstand, like the seven churches, to allow our light to be seen in a region and an area. How am? How is that happening in my life? One thing: if it is not, find out prayerfully one way in which I can let my light be seen and known. And how I can join corporately to let our light be seen and known. One way this week. That's all. I ask you one way this week. How are you doing that? And how will you do that? Secondly, is what are the temptations that are endangering your light to be hidden? What temptations are you giving into? that are putting your light in danger? I'm not talking about losing your salvation. We're not talking about that at all. I'm talking about your light, your, your testimony shining for Christ. How is that being put in danger? What is happening in your life that is endangering that? I want you to honestly answer that this week. What's one thing that's doing that? And how can I prayerfully bring that before God for him to remove from me? It's going to hurt. It is in battle. You will suffer. But God says, you're in the right place when that's happening. Because that is expected of the follower of Christ. But God says, please understand. And don't forget, if when you ask that question, you start feeling the pressure, understand the three things that John wrote. He loves me. He freed me. He made me. I just remember that and be able to allow your testimony, your light to shine. Because then you are living out the purposes of God. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much. That, Father, you are the light of the world and then you've now come into us and have trusted you and you've said we are the light not we will be we are and father you made it so that all men would see and see who you are in the process lord i pray that we would light up the darkness as a church individually in our smaller spheres of influence and then corporately in our community sphere of influence, that we would be this collective light that lets the world know that Jesus is real and that he does and can bring hope as, number one, your sins are forgiven, and now you embrace who Jesus is, and then you begin to live a life in the light yourself, displaying the goodness and greatness of God. Father, I pray that we do that, Lord, that we hand our lives over to you. Lord, for those who don't see the value or the importance of this yet, I pray that you'll help them to, under, I mean, help them to see and understand the futility of life outside of you. That, Father, it lacks eternal purpose. It lacks a grounding purpose and intention. And that although life may be going good right now, Father, life always takes a turn. We're hearing that in our news today about how it took a turn for nine people and all of those they are connected to. And Father, where we are in you will determine how we are held and how we can weather the storm. Father, when we are opposed because of our faith, Lord, do we cower and we hide our lights or do we stand realizing that this opposition is what was going to happen? It comes with the territory. Help us to stand. And so, Father, we commit ourselves to you, asking you to help us. Help us to be faithful. Help us to be true. Help us to be strong. In Jesus' name amen I'm gonna ask you to keep your eyes closed just for a second and this